It's arguably one of the most controversial and politically charged questions about the law. When asked, does prison work, you probably already have your own strong opinions. You may think it's crucial to be tough on crime, or you may believe that prison does nothing but teach people how to become better criminals. But whichever side you instinctively fall on, think again. Behind the headlines, there's a subtle interplay between pragmatism, politics, and penal theory. Media stories come and go. The social climate shifts over time. Different academics, politicians, and practitioners' views influence public opinion. And when you ask, "Does prison work?", you must also answer the question, "For whom?" The offender, the victim, or society at large. Well, in the studio with me, I have four very experienced contributors to help unpick these complex questions. Juliet Lyon is director of the Prison Reform Trust. Her work puts her in daily contact with prisoners, prison workers, and political decision makers. Owen James is a writer and columnist who spent twenty years in prison. His Honour Judge William Kennedy is the judicial member of the London Probation Board and the judge responsible for all the youth cases at Snaresbrook Crown Court. Carol Howell started her career as a legal practitioner before becoming an academic and the W100 Course Team Chair. Thank you all for being here. Let's start with the basic question: Owen James, does prison work? It can work. Because prison is a place with an abundance of opportunities. I mean, I went into a, into prison uh, ill-educated, inarticulate, and with massive failings to overcome. And over over twenty years, I, clearly, I, I made you know significant progress. But I, I I can't give the prison system and my prison experience. I, I'm reluctant to give credit to to my experiences in prison. I had to overcome massive obstacles in prison to achieve those successes. You know, prison life is not conducive to succeeding. Well, let's get a view from Juliet Lyon.、Uh, Juliet, if you look at the experience of someone like Erwin, though, could you not say that something positive can emerge? I think it can,、um, but I think it rarely does. And I think one of our problems is that we utterly fail to reserve prison as a place of absolute last resort in the criminal justice system. So we have overcrowded jails. We have、um, very poor staff-prisoner ratios. We have very limited opportunities for people to develop in any sense.、Um, and one should never minimise the pain of imprisonment. What what losing liberty does to people, and whether it's somebody who's young or somebody who's old, prison is going to leave a lasting mark. William Kennedy, I'm interested in your perspective as a judge when you look at at at、um, The experience of of prison. What is it like actually making those sentencing decisions? If you choose to be a judge, then that goes with the territory. You know exactly what is expected of you by the system, what is expected of you by Parliament, what's expected of you by the Court of Appeal, and so consequently, the task of a judge is to do that which Parliament. Has asked of him or her, and that which the court of appeal expects. If that involves the imposition of a sentence of imprisonment, then that is that goes with the territory. Do you accept Juliet Lyon's point that perhaps we don't use prison enough as a last resort? I think the difficulty with Juliet's point is this: if prison is underfunded, if prison is crowded, if prison is a poor place in which to put people, then that's an argument for increasing the funding, increasing the provision of facilities, and making it a better place. It's not a necessity, an argument for not using it at all. I think that prison should be a case of last resort. 
I hope that for the majority of sentences it is so regarded, but I think Juliet will say that that's not her experience. Certainly, those of us who sentence the young regard the imposition of sentences of imprisonment as absolutely a last resort. Mm. Carol Howells, I want to turn to you for, for the academic perspective. These are clearly very big and, and often very emotive issues. What is the theory in this area? Well, the theory changes with time. Prison could be seen as as retribution or as a deterrence or incapacitation so that society as a whole is protected. Erwin? I think society hopes that there'll be some punishment and there'll be some rehabilitation. That's what society hopes, I think, if you stop the man in the street and ask him that. And I think that's what the government tries to do in the prison system. They, They try to make it kind of punitive, but they also provide... Um, rehabilitative initiatives and rehabilitative programs like from, in my case education and things and that's, that's quite confusing for a prisoner because when you go to prison you know prison to me was, was, a, was a mystery even though I had had some experience with uh, police and the criminal justice system in my, in my younger years but adult prison this was my first time to an adult prison and to me it was you know the most frightening experience my uh, path was one of mainly of survival you need to be pretty well equipped to take advantage of the opportunities that are in prison. You need to be a very able, competent, skilled person. And when most people go to prison, obviously they're not. They don't have those abilities. Well, there are some people whose offending is so serious or so persistent that there's no alternative to custody. But they're in a minority. For others, the value of prison is more open to debate. When judges pass sentences, they should be tailored to the individual and his or her circumstances. Even so, there are some groups of people for whom incarceration is a particular issue. One example is women. William Kennedy, is prison suitable for women? I think it's undoubtedly right that um, one sentences women to imprisonment with a very heavy heart indeed because the facilities for them are not as they should be. Many of the uh, prisons involve separation from family and friends geographically and it's very, very difficult, particularly where young children are involved. Sadly, however, the prison population as far as women is concerned has risen for a number of reasons but a very great deal is to do with a trade in class A drugs either as mules bringing drugs into the country or being at the forefront of the distribution of class A drugs class A drugs are the greatest social evil that we face as a criminal justice system. We have to deal with it, and I'm afraid that means deterrent sentences upon those who dabble in it. Juliet, would you accept that? Well, I think it's debatable whether it's a deterrent. What I was going to say was that that these women, we know that 18,000 children or so are separated from their mum by imprisonment each year. So there's a big social outcome to imprisoning women. I don't think that's always taken into account. I don't think the mental health issues in relation to women is always taken into account. But if we look at this particular offence, the importation of drugs, the women are very rarely the key players. The key players are frankly not caught. It's a rare occasion to catch someone um, who's orchestrated a drug run. There are plenty of vulnerable women who will do this for money plenty of them who are assured by the people who orchestrate these things that they will get away with it. But prison prison doesn't solve solve the problem. It doesn't really. It doesn't deter the next people coming online to do that same Mm offence. And women serve maybe 12, 15 years for such an offence. Carol, again, what's the theory or what's the evidence about the the position of, of women in our criminal justice system? 
There's been a lot of, of research academically into this area, but in particular there's been a focus on sort of the under-18s. Um, quite often, um, simply because of the revisions within the system, you will find that with young women, young girls, they're actually sometimes within the adult prison system. There's evidence of a lot of bullying, um, a lot of self-harm, um, the resources are maybe not there in the way that they are for maybe young males. Um, again, a funding issue. Um, and and it's a very difficult act to balance. Well, another vulnerable group is young people. In 2005, the 16-year-old Gareth Price hanged himself in Lancaster Farm's Young Offender Institution. His suicide, one of 28 deaths of children in UK custody, threw the spotlight on some crucial issues whether prison is appropriate for young people, mental health in young prisoners, and an alleged blind spot of the justice system towards the causes of antisocial behaviour like bullying, lack of parental support and poverty. Let's explore this further. Is custody suitable for young people, Juliet? No. I'm, I say that with a very heavy heart because I was engaged some while ago in trying to improve training for prison staff um, over a long period of time. Um, I think there are some very good people working in prison who want to do their best with young people. But to spend money trying to make prison child-centred seems a tragic waste of resources. So you're saying no custody for young people under any circumstances? I'm saying no prison for children. I'm not saying that there aren't children who've committed very serious crimes who need to be detained and contained. I think they need to be in smaller units, closer to their homes, with proper contact with all the other support services... Um, and in order to make something appropriate for children, to try and turn prison into that place is a costly exercise and a bankrupt exercise. William Kennedy, what, what would you say to that, that, that the uh, emphasis is in the wrong place, effectively? I think that there are certain children whose crimes are so serious that they need, as Judith has said, to be confined, detained, assisted and treated. Obviously, you don't lock them up in a 12 by 8 with an open toilet. That is not what should be done. Frankly, it's not what is done, except in the most extraordinary circumstances. But we've got to accept that there are children within our society who commit dreadful crimes. The only way that they can be assisted is by taking them out of society for a while and subjecting to the most concentrated input by psychiatrists, psychologists and so on. I don't like to see children in the Crown Court. I don't like to see children losing their liberty. But there are certain cases where the loss of liberty is essential if the child is to be saved from himself or indeed herself. So um, when you're actually faced with a, with a situation, what kinds of things are running through your head? Obviously, the gravity of what they've done. But are you looking particularly at the personality of the person you're sentencing, the young person you're sentencing? Yes. I mean, I, for what it's worth, I've got teenage children of my own. And so obviously, I draw on my own experience, hopefully, in communicating with them, which is a first step. My concern for any child of 14, 15, 16, 17 is to ensure so far as I can that they're given the opportunity not to be still in the system and serving custodial sentences in 10 or 20 years' time. And what we've got to be prepared to do is to make whatever investment is necessary in giving them the very best assistance. It is expensive, it is resource-intensive, but it's an expense that we've got to bear if we are going to have any chance of saving them from themselves. Let me ask um, Erwin what, what he thinks, because you experienced... Um 
custody as as a teenager for I the did. first time, didn't you? I did. My experience of of custody as a teenager was that it was very, it was it was how to explain it. It was a lot of young lads together. We worked out in the gym. We played football. We kind of we we, we held ourselves kind of strong against the prison officers. Um, you know, it, it was a young offenders institution, but it was prison. You know, it was cells and bars and uniforms and concrete and steel. And there were some nice, good people, good, well-motivated people that worked in the system, a couple of good governors, and there's always, a, you know, a good prison officer on, on the landing. But I, I, I'm not sure what the benefits were because I didn't get an education particularly. I wasn't in long enough. That's often the case. We're either, we're either not in, long, in prison long enough to take advantage of those opportunities, or we're in too long. Yeah. I seem to come out better equipped to to commit crimes because I came out stronger and fitter. But I hadn't really been challenged, um, you know, morally particularly. If the prison experience was positive, if the prison experience was fundamentally educational-based and, and was geared towards personal development and personal growth and ensuring that the people that go away to custody come out better equipped to contribute to society. That's what prison should be about in my in So my, that, in my that would make a difference. That would make a huge difference. Carol, I'm interested in, in the overall research and what we, what we learn or what we know about the experience of young people in prison. There has been research done and there is some evidence to show that young men in particular, because that was the group concentrated on, could grow out of crime. But that seems to have moved from sort of the late teens into the early 20s, the more recent academic research. But one of the things that struck me when I was working in the youth justice system is that a lot of the young individuals that I had contact with were already socially excluded. So that does raise the question of whether the courts are actually the right place to deal with these issues and indeed with the prison and custody. Ju- and Juliet Lyon, we, we also hear, don't we, about these terrible instances of, of self-harm and even suicide amongst young offenders. Well, that's right. Uh, I mean, very high levels of self-harm to the, to the extent that very recently a research study had to be abandoned because the researchers wanted to look at what they called a contaminated group and an uncontaminated group, i.e. children who hadn't seen other children try and harm themselves. Um, And it wasn't possible in the young offender institution to find any young man who hadn't heard the screams in the night, hadn't seen his cellmate hurt himself, hadn't experienced that distress, either actually or watching someone else. And I think, you know, we have to ask a fundamental question about whether the criminal justice system is the right place for many of these young people, or whether given the levels of mental health need, and we know that 10% have some kind of functional psychosis, schizophrenia or something of that kind, should we actually look at this through um, a public health lens and should we look toward treatment rather than punishment for many of them. William Kennedy, I just want to get your thought on that. Should we look at it through the public health lens? I genuinely think we do. Certainly, as far as I'm concerned, the sentencing of any youth involves a a very profound sense of psychological and psychiatric assessment. If there's any history that that, uh, gives cause for concern... The youngsters are not sentenced now on the basis of a short report by a single writer. Where there is serious offending that is likely to cost um, a young person his or her liberty, there is now a huge range of interventions by psychological and psychiatric assessment. 
Well, let's talk more about sentencing now, because at the time of this recording in 2005, the overall number of inmates has continued to rise. The prison population has reached record numbers. Over 76,000 people are in jails in England and Wales. Juliet, are sentences becoming tougher, do you think? We're pretty clear they are. Um, the the cusp, the decision that's taken between a community sentence and a custodial penalty seems to have changed. So that the courts are tougher. Um, people are more likely to go to jail for an offence that 10 years ago they might not have been in prison for. I mean, I think one of the issues, and it's one of the saddest things about prison reform, if you like, is that prisons have definitely improved to some extent, particularly in relation to drug treatment, um, to an extent um, education as well, and some sort of form of rudimentary mental health care. Mm. What happens, I think, is that because of the failure of other public services, prison has become a kind of welfare warehouse. So it's easier in some parts of the country to get a detox in a prison setting than it is in a health setting in the community. You become a priority. Well, they do. So the criminal justice gateway um, lets people into some sort of treatment. And and my worry is, that the Prison Reform Trust worry is that, as I said, that that prisons have become a welfare warehouse and that the courts are using them in order to obtain treatment for people who would otherwise not go to jail. William Kendi, are you handing down longer sentences than you did five, ten years ago? I'm dealing with much more serious crime than I was five or ten years ago. You've got to bear bear in mind that an enormous amount of investment has been put into obtaining more police officers. Obviously, that means that they detect more crime. Serious offences, bearing in mind we used to have a a clear-up rate of 25%, have now been hugely assisted by forensic improvements. DNA now enables us to trace numbers of people committing very serious offences who before would have escaped in prison. But isn't that more about levels of conviction rather than actual length of sentences? Say say if you're faced with the, with the, with the same conviction that you would have a few years ago, is there, is there a trend for longer I sentences? I am honestly not aware, Juliet may well have statistics, but I'm honestly not aware in my own case of imposing any difference in sentence for a particular offence than I did five years ago or ten years ago. Offences have become on, in the main, more serious, and sentences reflect the fact that offend, offending has increased in its seriousness. Juliet, so crime is just more serious today? Well, when we did the study of judges and magistrates, we found, looking at um, real cases, that, that they had become tougher, um, that they said it was in relation to climate of public opinion, um, the political context has changed. I mean, I think the other issue that, that's important to consider is is the increased level of mandatory penalties yes. so that the courts don't always feel that they've got room for manoeuvre any longer. Well, many courtroom observers say that today we do seem to be observing a resurgence of interest in the rights of the victim. Ten years ago, the emphasis was on the actions of the offenders. Now, judges must consider the impact those actions have had on victims in their sentencing decisions. Some victims, in turn, express their satisfaction that justice has been done if they see someone receiving a hefty prison sentence. Let's explore this now. William Kennedy, is is, is this something that, that's in the forefront of your mind when, when you sentence? I'm very conscious of victims and the and the rights of victims. I think victims have long been ignored and it's, it's disgraceful that they have been ignored. In The Way Ahead, which was published by the Home Office in 2001, its first sentence is this. Our programme of reform is guided by a single clear priority to rebalance the criminal justice system 
in favour of the victim so as to reduce crime and bring more offenders to justice. So emphasis uh, in the right place then, a correction then of, of what happened before? Absolutely. It's very important for sentences to see a victim impact statement where the victim tells the court what the effect of the offence has been on him or her. And it's important that the victim's voice is heard. Juliet, is that fair enough? I think the purpose of prison is to prevent the next victim and one of the distressing things about prison is the level of reconvictions which, you know, we were talking about young people earlier on. We know that three quarters of those young people are going to be reconvicted within two years of release. But do you think that the victim should not be taken into account then at the point of sentencing the offender? I think the victim needs to be taken into account but not to the point that their opinion overshadows in any sense the person who's passing judgment. Yeah. I think that's always the danger when to- one talks about rebalancing the system. If it goes too far in favour of the victim, then then that's pushing it to one extreme. The victim's views need to be taken into account. I think the other thing that ought to be taken into account, and this is difficult and complicated and unpopular, is that very many offenders have also been victims. Um, and when you meet people in prison or when you talk to their families, you realise that it's a messy business and that people have been both sides of the fence. So the categories aren't always so clear. Carol Howells, I'm, I'm just wondering, this is another classic case, isn't it, of, of balancing the rights of, of different groups? It is, and it's a very difficult balance to achieve because as with individual offenders who have you know, their own particular um, personality events that have affected them, the victim also has their personality um, and I'm whilst I agree that the victim should play a role I'm not so convinced as to how large that role should be Owen where do you think that emphasis should be how large do you think the, the victim's role should be I think it's healthy that victims should have an option to say like the judge said um, a victim impact statement I think that might help a victim to feel that they have a voice and they're involved in this mm. they've been a victim of a crime they deserve to be treated with absolute respect and to be included if possible um, but I think there's an awful lot of r- rhetoric in what the judge said as well it's very easy to play on words and talk about victims mm. and perpetrators and as Juliet said it's just not that simple yeah. you know? well, William Kennedy it is, it is difficult isn't it because these are very emotive things victim impact statements and obviously the same crime can impact on victims in different ways depending on on their own personal circumstances or, or their own strength. I mean, is society served by the emphasis being on, on victims? We govern by consensus, don't we? And it means, therefore, that everyone who is a member of the public has a voice. If the member of the public is a victim of crime, then the victim can reasonably expect to be heard. Of course, we don't say, what does the victim think and sentence accordingly? But it would be monstrous to ignore that a particular victim, by virtue of a particular frailty, has suffered in a particular way. Those who target the elderly, those who target the disabled and steal from them, look out for victims and the interests and views of those victims must be heard. Carol? The bringing of the victims into um, the system, into the process, that also illustrates the consequences. So the consequences of the crime are not disengaged, if you like. We're starting to talk now about about the the broader impact of prison on our society. Juliet, I I just wonder if your work sometimes ignores the the protection need uh, for society in terms of the use of prison. You know, often it's it's, it's needing to protect society from dangerous people. Absolutely, and we're not abolitionists. I mean, I think prison is a very important, essential place of last resort. 
But the point I've been trying to make is that it isn't a place of last resort. And consequently, in a way, we don't take account of society. We don't protect people because we're creating an ever-growing pool of people who actually leave prison more, not less likely to offend again. But there are a whole range of institutions and different ways to, to treat people, aren't there? There's all kinds of community orders as, as well as custodial sentences. Well, that's right. And I think there are options. I think one of the one of the problems has been that the options have not been immediately apparent to the general public. When you look at public opinion polls, and we've conducted a poll recently with um, uh, the Daily Mirror and Smart Justice, looking at what do people actually want. Um, they don't necessarily think prison is going to solve problems, but they do have trouble conceptualising what will. Mm. And I think the government have got a very um, important role to play to explain to people that community penalties can be effective, um, that they can actually help people pay back to society. So paying back in terms of apologising for something, explaining, discussing, being involved in working out what would be the best form of punishment for So, so a, whole, this a whole range of options. Community service, a range of options, mm. but, but predicated on the idea that it's important to recognise what you've done and to say sorry for what you've done. William Kennedy, I'm, I'm interested in, in the whole public opinion side of things because uh, the newspapers, particularly the par- tabloids, are regularly full of screaming headlines about you know people being let out and, and reoffending. Is public opinion and the public mood relevant to you at the point of sentencing? Public opinion presumably gu- guides Parliament in deciding what should be the appropriate and the maximum sentence for a particular offence. Public opinion has apparently guided Parliament to increase, as you said earlier, the mandatory sentences so exponentially over the last few years. So we are to an extent tied by public opinion to public opinion. Obviously, we know that, and the Court of Appeal who direct us know, that certain sorts of offending cause enormous public disquiet. And in those circumstances, they expect the public disquiet to be met by a sentence which the public will accept. On the other hand, many other offences that used to attract lengthy terms of imprisonment, for example, benefit fraud, have been looked at now, are are now being looked at in an entirely different way, and a non-custodial emphasis being applied. So the whole sentencing process changes uh, as offending changes. Mm. Owen, from your own experience, in terms of this question about, about society and, and, mm. and prison serving society, do you feel that, that your sentence and your incarceration did something to, to serve society as a whole? Well, it, it did. In the end, it did. But, I mean, my view is that prison is a valuable community resource. It's as important as a school or a hospital. But we don't we don't use it in that way. We don't use that resource in that way. So I find myself constantly surviving. I, I left behind people that will never get out of prison. People that started off sentences similar to mine, who who didn't make it through those years. That did certainly didn't serve society. You know, a fundamental problem in our system is that we we try to force together punishment and rehabilitation, and they don't go together. They don't go together. So a different kind of institution for punishment different and a different kind for rehabilitation, totally separate. Well, because then you're labelling people the, the the minute they go into that institution. I think that the real time for punishment is at the judge's court. That's when punishment is handed down, and that punishment is a prison sentence. That's a time for public opprobrium, shame, condemnation, embarrassment for the offender, a public show of punishment. When that person goes to prison, it should be then a time for rebuilding and regrowing, 
and, and positive initiatives. If you just send someone into a prison system where they, where they live in fear and they live under a, a cloud of intimidation and it's all about survival mm. of the fittest and the strongest and the meanest, I mean, that's not a place for, for developing um, good citizens. <laughs> that just, way, that's my point. Just a few final thoughts. Um, Juliet, listening to what to what Erwin says, there's the kind of offender, though, who's not going to be at all shamed or humiliated by, by being, you know, a sentence handed down in a, in a public courtroom. There's, there's a much more hardened type out there. Yes, I mean, I think there's such a range of people in prison. Um, you know, we have to think about individuals, and that's one of the hardest things to do is when you, as you said, at any one time there are 76,000 people in prison. But I think one of the things that happens to people often in prison, although they're there to lose their liberty, is that they lose their identity, they lose their sense of responsibility. So far from building responsibility, um, we diminish it by imprisonment. Um, I would like to see a much more effective, sophisticated kind of punishment, a use of prison that would actually enable people to rebuild, as Owen was saying. William Kennedy, is that true? Do you think that in a sense prison is a blunt instrument? Yes, I think there's no doubt about it. We've got, if we're going to incarcerate people, try and use the time that they're there for some positive purpose other than, otherwise than simply locking them up. It means, I'm afraid, a great deal of money being spent. But at the end of the year, it costs £60 billion. Crime costs each year uh, in losses and in consequential costs. Spending a tiny proportion of that on proper um, regimes within prison of education might well be a good investment. Carol, the last word to you. I think we're not achieving the aims of prison at the moment and partly that is due to the funding and to the purpose and to what actually happens once you go through those prison gates. Okay. Well, here we must close. Has the discussion lodged new questions or nagging doubts in your mind? For my part, I've certainly learned a lot from hearing the familiar debate from some unusual perspectives. Many thanks to our contributors, Carol Howells, Juliet Lyon, Owen James and William Kennedy for grappling so bravely with what's one of the most volatile subjects in the study of law.